All right, welcome back to another edition of Hey Fighting Podcast. As always, Cody Worsham joined in studio by Jacob Hester. Jacob, uh, how was your recovery from last time we talked? We were, we were sitting, like I said, outside of the Rose Bowl. It was, uh, it was a difficult, uh, difficult two-hour window there. Not yeah. just because of the loss, of course, but buses took a couple hours to, to get going. Once right. the buses got there, the plane took off. We landed about 7, 7.30 a.m., uh, yeah. On Sunday, um, so how, how have you adjusted physically to the not just the jet lag, but just you know the fact that like we had to sleep on a plane? Yeah, it was a very surreal podcast recording, and the fact that we were sitting on a bench right in front of the entrance of the Rose Bowl, right by a Jackie Robinson statue, and we were just sitting there talking about a game that we didn't really have a lot of good things to say about. Yeah, and then you, you're right, like you try to sleep on a plane, you land, and you get back to your house, and it's like. 7:30 and the kids are like, "Hey, hadn't seen you in a couple of days." And you're like, "I'm so rested. Let's uh let's talk. Let's have some fun. Let's throw the football." And then of course, you're still angry from uh the game on Saturday. So, but you know what? Got to cut it. 24-hour rule. <laughs> it might have lingered on a little bit longer cuz I'm getting a little bit older, but we're here now and um I've watched the tape probably 3 times. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. I had that feeling as I watched it as well. So here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna we're gonna look back at the game. This this is gonna be the standard format for the midweek show. This is just how it's gonna be. Yeah. We're gonna look back at the game that was. We're gonna look ahead to the game that will be, and then we're gonna take some questions as well. And maybe we'll mix in some in- interviews as necessary. I may I'm working on something for this week that I may be able to get up in time. If not, just pretend I never said this sentence. Before we get to that, I do I do look. It's really hard for us in in particular to talk about a game after a loss because we you played for LSU. I work for LSU. We're just not going to be the place that comes in and the world is burning and fire everybody. It's just not going to be our niche. There's some people, that's their niche, great. You can go to them for that. We're going to try to be a little more cerebral and, to, to borrow a quote from Jacoby Stevens, attack the problems and not the people. So we're going to try to problem solve. That's, yeah. what, that's what our goal is going to be after a loss. After a win, we're going to celebrate, we're going to gloat, we're going to point out all the great things, yeah. still address some of the problems that are there. But really... The, the tone that I want to strike, I hope we got it right after the game. I don't know if we did or not, mostly because of a combination of like a million things, fatigue, frustration, um, logistical confusion. Hopefully we got that tone right, but certainly we're going to try for that today and uh, and we're going to do our best. So I want to start by looking back at the game that was. And the last thing we said on the hurry up was you were going to go back and watch the film. As you said, you watched three times. Yep. I was going to go back and, and look at numbers. Now, I do have a little bit of good news. And I shared this with you on the podcast. I went back and looked at my numbers. I used Pro Football Focus. I actually have access to film this year on Pro Football Focus, right. which has never happened before. So I didn't watch the game start to finish. I went and watched a lot of specific plays specific to the stats that I was looking up. And I have some stats I want to go over, specifically some line of scrimmage stats, because as you remember, I said before the game, I think it's going to be a line of scrimmage game. Right. It was. And some of the numbers really revealed that. And then I have a couple other just more advanced things that I want to look at in particular. But I want to start with you and what you saw on film. And I know you've talked about it for two days on Off the Bench now, yeah. but when you go back and you look at the film, was it worse than you thought? Was it better than you thought? Was it about what you expected? It's about what I uh, expected it to be because you know, calling the game on the LSU Sports Radio Network, I really got a chance to see it live. And then because we're on radio, I saw the TV delay as well. So, so I got a chance to see it, it kind of twice oh, within wow. the game. Double the torture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And then I've watched it three times since. So, uh, you know, five times. Um, 
it's about what I expected. Like you could see it live. There, there wasn't yeah. really any mystery to why LSU didn't have success. You couldn't run the football. Yep. You couldn't stop the run later in the game, and you gave up big plays, and you didn't really create explosive plays outside of Kayshawn Butte. I mean, Kayshawn obviously is he-man sometimes, and we've seen it the last couple of games out for him. And he turned in a you know eleven yard reception into forty plus yard touchdowns. Yep. Like he is as advertised, but there was no real mystery to why you struggled in the football game. And when you throw out the the stats, and we'll throw them out there during the show, and the success they had running the football, and the push that they got, and the unsuccessful attempts you had running the football, averaging only one point nine yards per carry. There's no real mystery to why you didn't win the football game. Yeah, so that, that leads me nicely into the first stat. And the first stat that I have, and I think you've used this already, is yards before contact. And that's something we talked about in the buildup last week. Hey, last year LSU did not do a good enough job of getting yards before contact. And so you go back and look at the game, and Ty Davis Price had, what, 13 carries, 30 yards, something like that. And if you're just a stat sheet watcher, a box score watcher, you're like, man, he, he must have not had a very good game. And he look, he wasn't perfect. He probably missed a couple holes here and there, a couple cuts. Yeah. But when you look at the yards before contact stats, it tells you the whole story. UCLA had 122 yards before contact. LSU had four total. 122 total to four. So do the math there. They had yeah. 30 times more, a, a multiple of 30 more yards per contact. And we talked about that on Thursday in the back of the bus. Yep. Like we got asked that question, right? Yep. And not even really from the LSU offensive line, but more from the LSU defensive front. That's where I thought that would get fixed. Like the offensive line, it's had issues. It's had issues staying healthy, and it's had issues in the run game really for a couple of seasons. But the LSU defensive front, and they held their own at the beginning of the game until UCLA made adjustments. They had four sacks in the first half, so the rush was nice as well. UCLA made the adjustments, and LSU wasn't able to adjust with them. Yep. So what were those adjustments that you saw? Because – well, so we, we talked about the yards before contact, right? And, and my focus mostly has been on the offense the last couple of days. Right. I, I don't know why. That's just where my eye has been drawn. That's where the best guys yeah. reside. I there mean, you go. That's, where the, that's yeah. where the studs go. And, yeah. and look, we'll, we'll talk about the defense in a second because I do have some, some theories on the defense. But I'm curious what the adjustments were that you saw on tape that allowed UCLA to really not only stuff the run for LSU, but also generate some in the run game. Because for me... The reason I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the defense, there are certainly some concerns there. It felt more like the defense gave up too many home runs, mm-hmm. and it wasn't that UCLA just consistently pounded the rock, pounded the rock, pounded the rock five, six, seven yards. It was more like the 40-yard gash here, yeah. the 20-yard gash here. Now, certainly, it wasn't like LSU was, was stuffing the run consistently and then just got beat with the home run, so there's still some issues there. But I didn't feel like it was, man, they just they just lined up and ran it down LSU's throat time and time again until the fourth quarter. Now, the fourth quarter, yeah, that's, that's right. basically what happened. And we can talk about that. But what adjustments, to go back to the original question, what right. adjustments did you see both from UCLA specifically on both sides of the ball yeah. that they were able to stuff LSU's run and then able to generate some home runs in the run on their part? Really, UCLA didn't really have to adjust on their defensive front because LSU never got it going yeah. running the football, like not at all. In fact, they didn't have a, a run over like three yards until the second half, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So what they were doing is, and a lot of people want to call it a three-man front. It was not really a three-man front. They had a three-down lineman look a lot of the time. Then they had their outside linebacker, Calvert number 33, lining up in different spots. Yeah, Man, he was in the A-gap, around. the B-gap, the C-gap. He was the fourth-down lineman, basically, but he was just moving around doing so. 
Um, and it was a really nice scheme. I mean, they were twisting, looping, had a lot of run stunts. And of course, they were blitzing guys from from every from, angle. From everywhere. And, but then LSU's offensive line just didn't get that push. Yep. Like when you go back and you watch the uh, the end zone copy, there's not a lot there. Yeah, yeah. There, there was two or three times when there was a cut to be made and the running back, probably because of lack of confidence, ran up his lineman's back and he didn't see the backside cut. So really... There was no adjustments because it never started. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that one, that's not good. We could talk about that. Yeah. We'll as, dig in there in a second. As far as what UCLA did offensively to adjust early in the game, what they were trying to do is they were trying to stretch and uh, LSU's defense and test the edges. They wanted to run stretches. They wanted to run outside zone. They wanted to see if they could stretch out LSU's defense and then one cut whatever gap was there. Well, they didn't have success doing that. LSU's defensive front was too fast for that. And I think they realized that. So what they did is they said, okay, we can't do that, which is what Chip Kelly's done a lot of, right? They said, we're going to do this. We're going to play inside the hashes. We're going to bring in a couple of tight ends, and we're going to maul you. Now, if you asked me before the game, Cody, could they do that? I said, absolutely not. There's no way. Those tight ends and that offensive line, they're maulers. And that's what they did. And I was so shocked the success that they had getting in that formation under the center, by the way, right? They're under the center. And then you've got a formation when everybody's tight in there and you're running counter, you're running power, you're running inside zone, and LSU just could not stop it. Yeah. Okay, so I want to dig in on that that run angle right there and LSU's run defense because I was talking with a, a buddy on on Sunday after the game and he was talking about watching the game with somebody who who knew who knows football better than he did, and he said they they ran one of those run plays trying to get to the edge early that you talked about, and he said they're going to come back to that and they're going to play off of that, yeah. right? That 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 play right there was a setup for something later. And he said, "What are you talking about? They stuffed it. Our defense is fast. They're they're shutting it down like no issues whatsoever." And then later in the game, and again, I'm not the scheme guy, but they showed that look, went the other way, maybe off the other tackle with kind of a counter. So it was it was a, you know, you you do. Um, what's sort of a bait and switch, right? We're going to yeah. show you this. We're going to get you moving that way, and then we're going to come back with a counter off of that. And so they came back with a counter off of that, hit it for a yeah. big run. How much of UCLA's success do you think was that that scheming of that, you know, setting it up for setting up one run for the next everything, run? Everything they did, Cody. Yeah. Everything they did, not only in the running game but in the passing game as well, was set up. Like you could feel it coming. Like yeah. it's coming. Like they are trying to bait you, and LSU fell for the bait almost every time. Like those over routes that they continued to hit, like being there and watching it in the booth on the radio call, we called it like three or four times. We go, it's setting up. Like they're setting up to get Dulcich on that over route over and over again. And they had it. And, and in fact, one time when they settled for a field goal, they had him on the over route. The quarterback just missed didn't him. see him. Missed him. Yep, the I, one where he was going to the left side. Yeah, the, yeah. so there wasn't, there wasn't really one time where you adjusted and made that adjustment to say, okay, here it comes. We've got to make sure, yes, they are having success running the ball and their tight ends are doing a nice job either pulling or being on the line of scrimmage, but they're going to catch us whenever you know we're not expecting it, but you should have been expecting that. Yeah. So to flip to the other side of the ball, it felt similar in that, you know, when, when you talk about a game where you get beaten like this, you're going to get outplayed and you're going to get outcoached, right? And I felt like UCLA did a lot better job of dictating to, to LSU what UCLA wanted to do on both sides of the ball. So we talked about what that looked like just there for their offense. I thought defensively, they they almost dictated the terms defensively. So they would show, you know, they'd show pressure, show pressure, and then LSU would do the look back, and then they would change their look completely, right? And so that's the advantage of the look back for offense has always been I can look at what the defense is doing, I can adjust, call the play to attack it, 
and then go from there. And it felt like UCLA was taking advantage of the look back by changing their look completely. So whether it was switching where the pressure was coming from, there was one play, I think it was like the first series, it was the one where Max fumbled the ball. Yeah. And they were showing pressure before. This is early in the game. They're showing a ton of pressure, a ton of pressure. They've already sent a pressure a couple times. Uh, LSU does the look back. They completely drop off, drop eight into coverage. Max holds it, holds it, holds it, eventually gets hit and fumbles it. It felt like they were the ones almost doing the taking advantage of the look back, right? Without and, question. And so, and so I saw uh, Seth Galina from Pro Football Focus tweeted, that was a defensive scheme months in the making. Like yeah. they prepared all offseason to implement that scheme. What, what did you see from the UCLA defense that just threw LSU through a loop? Yeah, that's exactly what they were doing. They wanted you to switch whatever protection or whatever you had, and that's why you were getting so deep in the play clock. When you look at that first, second quarter, how many times did LSU have to snap the ball with three, two, or one second on the play clock because here comes Max, right? And he's going up to the line of scrimmage. He's changing something. And then they move. And then he's coming back and he's changing something again. They wanted to get a young quarterback, right? They wanted to get him off of what he was supposed to be doing and try to confuse him. Yeah. Same thing, like, right? They, they knew that LSU was struggling on the offensive front. Like, any practice reports coming out of LSU, like, they, they talked about that, right? So that's why they – they come in with a game plan to really test them. Now, did they blitz Hawaii? They did, but they didn't do it in spread formations like they did against LSU. I mean, you got to be a confident group to go out there and run cover zero as many times as they did, but yep. they were confident. They felt like they had the game plan, and then Max just continued to try to change to get LSU in the right protection. Well, sooner or later, you got to snap the football. Yeah. So to get back to my numbers, um, I think UCLA came in and said, we're going to make Max Johnson beat us. We're not going to let them um, – you know, I'll go back to the South Carolina game last year where T.J. Finley made his first start. And LSU almost had the perfect game plan for that game. They tried to make life as easy on T.J. as possible. They ran the ball effectively. And then they, they you know, a lot of easy throws for T.J. Um, he had an efficient game. Defense played well. He, he didn't have to win the game. It felt like UCLA came in and said, we're going to make the quarterback with two starts under his belt beat us. And we're going to do that by throwing the house at him and – telling him, beat us downfield. And so here are the numbers that support that argument. Max Johnson was blitzed on 60% of his dropbacks this week. That was the most of any Power 5 quarterback in the country. No one was blitzed more than he was. Now, to the flip side, um, UCLA's quarterback was blitzed on only 8.4% of his dropbacks twice the whole game he was blitzed. That was the second fewest among Power 5 quarterbacks. So two completely different game plans. Mm -hmm. But back to the Max point, they said we're going to go after him. And... To, to the offensive line's credit, and I'll give them a little bit of credit for this. They did not play well. But as much as, as Max got blitzed, he was only pressured on 38% of his dropbacks. That's not, gr- that's not a great number. It's too high, but it's not like a disaster. It's yeah. very middle of the pack. It was 57th in FBS this year, so literally right in the middle of the pack. So he wa- it wasn't like he was under pressure all night, but when he was under pressure, he struggled. He's 4-14 for 61 yards, no touchdowns, an interception, a 15.5 NFL rating. And he four turnover-worthy plays in that stretch. I mentioned the fumble, yeah. obviously the pick. So he really struggled under pressure, and they just said, we're going to generate as much pressure as we can. Now, when he was kept clean, he was actually really good. 22 of 32, 268 yards, three touchdowns, 125.5 NFL rating, 86.7 adjusted completion percentage. Like When he was clean and had time, he was good. Yeah. But they said, we're not going to let you be clean, and we're just going to send everybody at you. And and how do you beat that? Right? Remember, we... We saw this with Joe in the in the Clemson game. How do you how do you beat that? Cover zero, they're sending everybody. What do you do? Look, my favorite thing to do, right? Because if you continue to keep guys in to protect against that cover zero, 
well, eventually they're going to get home. Yeah. My favorite thing to do is get guys out in routes. Like you have everybody. Right. Because if you have more guys out in routes than they can cover, you got to get the ball out of hand quickly. Like it can be something as simple as a running back out in the flat, like whatever that might be. And that's why we saw 2019 when you look at how many times they ran a five man protection, it was the most in the country. Like teams tried to blitz them, teams tried to get to Joe Burrow, but he got the ball out so quickly that it didn't really matter. Like there was even a couple times in this game on Saturday where you didn't keep the running back in. Now, it wasn't a lot, but you got him out in the flat, and if you catch the ball and throw it to him right now, he's got eight yards if he's any good. Yep. Right? You know what I'm saying? So yep. that, to me, like, and, and also you can dictate the pace of the game, too. Like, if that team wants to blitz you that many times, well, we just saw you know a pace in last night's college football game where they didn't allow that because you're on the ball ready to go. How many times in 2019 do you see Joe just clapping? Yeah. Like, referee, get out of my way. I'm trying to snap the ball. Yep. Right. But when you're going back and forth between the line of scrimmage, trying to slide guys the right way, and you're changing the protection, all that stuff, well, guess what they're getting to do? They're yep. getting a look at what you're doing, and they're going to bring their blitz off what you've got going on as well. But if you're going fast, you're going tempo, well, that doesn't allow them to do that every single snap. Because if you don't substitute, well, they can't substitute. And they're exactly. not going to run cover zero seven plays in a row. Yeah. And so... Th- when I go back to that Clemson game, the way that Joe beat it was he took advantage of his one-on-one matchups. And you have to, in order to take advantage of your one-on-one matchups, you have to have time to be able to do that. And so you mentioned tempo. I thought that UCLA had LSU's timing down pat. I think it was silent count most of the game. Yeah. The second that Max clapped his hands for that snap, they were, they were taken off, pinning their ears back, going. And so there was no alteration of the snap count. And more times than not, their blitzer got a head full of steam, full speed, as the ball was being snapped, like the worst case scenario for the offense. So they got to alter that a little bit. And the other thing is taking advantage of of your one-on-one matchups and especially down the field. I mean, think back to that Clemson game. What broke it open for LSU? It was Jamar Chase over the top, four touchdowns, 7-7 ball game. Everyone breathes a sigh of relief. And they said, Max, beat us deep. We're we're sending everybody to the house, beat us deep. And he couldn't do it. It, Well, I I can't say he couldn't do it. He didn't do it because he only threw two balls of 20 plus yards the whole game. So that's that's my next stat. He was zero of two for zero yards, zero completions on throws of 20 plus. LSU did not try to take shots downfield. And so to me, that's that's the next step and the next adjustment and the next evolution. They weren't able to do it in, in game, but you've got some you guys that can make to, some plays you, downfield. Like you have to. Yeah. Like you have to threaten the defense longer than a hitch or a slant. And you're exactly right. Like Go back and look at the Alabama game in 19, the Clemson game. Like you're, you're mentioning, like we know them all, whatever. How many times did Joe just give Jamar Chase and Jefferson like one-on-one opportunities or Terrace Marshall, hey, like you're technically covered yep. against a first-round corner because that's what all those guys were. But I'm going to believe in my player and just going to throw it in the best position for you to go make a play. Yep. Like you have to do that eventually. And if you got one out there who was really the lone dog in the game, like I'm going to take that matchup and I'm going to test that corner to see if he can cover that guy. Yep. And so that that's going to be the next step for LSU. Max is his two attempts uh, of 20 plus yards on 43 attempts total. It was 4.3 percent of his attempts. It was the lowest in in Power Five this week. So clearly UCLA's game plan um, was was specifically designed to try to generate the outcome that yeah. that was generated, and LSU just wasn't able to adapt around it. What else? What else stood out to you when you were watching film? Probably we we need to touch a little more on LSU's defense again. I didn't I didn't watch as much and, and do as much numbers wise there, but um, I felt like the defense got killed by the home run, especially early in the game. Here, here here's the two defensive comments that I have. It's really hard to score the football in the red zone. It's it's really hard. The space is constricted. 
Um, you don't have as much room to operate. When you get the ball on like the eight-yard line, it's tough. It's tough to get it in the end zone. And twice, LSU had the opportunity to tackle guys on big plays and, and prevent the touchdown. Now, one of them was, was Dolchich. It was, it was twice, actually. Yeah. On his, his first touchdown, they had a chance to tackle him around the 40. Hey, you tackle a guy on the 40, you're fine. Like, live to see another day. Don't yeah. let that double become a, a home run. They missed the tackle. Actually missed another tackle inside the 10 where they had yeah. a chance to bring him down again. Make them earn those six. Right. Don't give them those six right there. Make them come back and earn it. And then at the end of the game, Kyle Phillips coming across the field, same thing happened, missed tackles off to the end zone. Yeah, bo- yeah, both those, yeah, both those, you gotta get that guy on the ground in that spot. I mean, you're giving him free touchdowns. That's, at that's that point. 14 points right there. Yeah. What's the final score? 38-27, 14 yeah. point game. What if what if one of those becomes a field goal? What if one of those they turn the ball over on the next play? Defenses get beat. It happens. You get beat for big plays. But you've got to be able to clean it up on the back end and live to fight another day. And so, like, there's some defensive concerns for sure, no doubt about it. To me, if you take away either take away those home run plays completely or just limit the damage and turn them into doubles, you probably do enough to at least give yourself a shot in the game instead of you know being 38-20 in the in the fourth quarter. You give yourself a little bit of a shot at least. Yeah, and, and we talked so many times coming in about the safety position and, and our concerns of it being a thin position, who could step up, who can make plays. And we saw some guys that definitely made some plays in fall camp. But I think the importance of Jay Ward, there's a reason they moved him from corner to safety. right? They needed him. And then you're watching the play when he goes out. I mean, I was just focused on him, watching him, and you saw the hit that he took, and you knew it was going to be tough for him to come back in that game. But when you look at when he was in the game, not to say this would have continued, but when he was in the game – UCLA went punt, 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 51 yards of total offense, yep. 51 yards in three series, right? And But the thing is, like, you've got to have somebody else coached up ready to go that's not this huge drop-off, right? Because you've got some Jimmys and Joes back there. Are they young? Are, are they experienced? No, but the drop-off was so big when, whenever you got replaced there, and you could tell that, you know, Jay, for a team that had a lot of – you know, guys nicked up in training camp. Like he was the one constant. Like he was always out there. And then when he went out, there was a drop off as far as execution. Yeah, one one of my favorite things. I completely agree. Like I said after the game, like Jay Ward isn't the guy that's going to come in and solve every defensive problem. But you could see why he was the starter and why he's so important to this defense. One of my favorite things about the game was the former players tweeting during the game, and not just like it, it was good information. Like Braden Fajoko and they, they, all these guys were breaking down like what was actually going wrong. And Patrick Queen said it as well as anyone. All you need is a DB that's going to come down and hit. That's all, bro. And, like, that's really – that's if you have that safety coming in on the back end and making that play, it cleans up a lot for you. So, I, I look, I have some defensive concerns. I think we all do. But I don't know. I, I've, I've said my case with the defense. They've got a lot of work to do. I'd like to see some more pressure. We'll talk about what we want to see. Let's, let's do that. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Um, We've looked back plenty on this game. Let's look ahead and see what else you can fix moving forward after this break. All right, we're back. Uh, Let's talk McNeese State, Esther. And and a lot of times I think this segment during the week we'll be looking at the opponent really hard, Um, a little bit like we did on the bus where you kind of give me the breakdown of what to expect. I'm less concerned about the opponent the next two weeks and more concerned about LSU. I heard y'all talking about this on the radio, but I had the same thought. No one cares the next two weeks nope. about who you're playing. And and really, like any success you have, you're not going to be given credit for. So, so that's fine. The next two weeks, McNeese State, Central Michigan, are about, for me, 
defining identity. So who are we? What do we do well? What do we not do well? How do we coach around that? And then developing some good habits because this team has a yeah. lot of bad habits right now. They developed last year. We would we hoped that an off season would help them kick those bad habits. Um, what I think we know now is that you need game time to kick those bad habits. And so the next two weeks are going to be about, to me, not playing the the opponent or not playing the scoreboard game. It's going to be all about the film. And it's going to be about how do I grade out? How well do I do my job every game? So we've addressed the problems in the first segment of the show. What are some of the solutions? What do you want to see from LSU? We'll start on offense yeah. with – Max Johnson with the running game, with the offensive line, with the receivers, which we haven't talked a whole lot about, receiver and tight end. What do you want to see from the offense in the next two games specifically? Be able to run the football. Okay. Be able to get some push. Um, that's, that's the biggest concern overall, not just offensively. Can I follow up with that question? Yeah. D- dig deeper. Would you, would, do you want to see scheme or do you want to see Both. execution? Both. Both. So as far as execution, hey, the play's called, block the play. Yeah. Like, the, you've got to get push. Because it doesn't matter what play I call. If, if you're only getting four yards before contact and your lead back is negative three before contact, like, that gives me no faith in, in to call any running scheme. Okay. Yeah. So that not, even, that. not even Jacob Hester could salvage that situation I, in, in his I, prime. I mean, there's not a running back <laughs> out there. And LSU's had some good ones that can really have a big day with that. You might yeah. pick up a couple of eight, nine-yard runs, but it's not going to be a lot, as we saw on Saturday. So that part of it, the angles have to be fixed. There were some yeah. really bad angles being taken by some some veteran offensive linemen that we've seen do it in the past. You know what I saw a lot of? And I'm not – look, again, I'm not the scheme guy. I'm not the technique guy for sure. I saw a lot of linemen engaging with the block and then getting kind of swim-moved off of it. Like they didn't yeah. have balance. Like they would, they would go in to make the contact, and then the defender would just shed them. And all of a sudden they're either stumbling forward and they're out of the play – or that lineman's got his head in the gap that the running back was going to, and he had to adjust out of it. It was a lot of, I don't know what you call that, poor engagement at the point yeah. of contact. And so even so, either you were getting decent engagement but no push, and sometimes push back, but certainly neutral push, which to me is a win for the defense. Or you were getting engagement and then literally just getting shucked off to the side yeah. or pushed to the side, and so then – it was all hell breaking. Yeah, your angle's got to be better. you got to get both hands right on your defender, and you've got to be able to hold ground and push at the same time. right? If you're only getting half your defender, well, he's going to pull you through, so you're going to stumble like you're talking about, and I'm going to be right in the hole to make the play. Yeah, like You're exactly right. Like It was too easy to get rid of the offensive lineman. you got to engage better. So that part of it has to be fixed before you start talking about scheme. But if you want to talk scheme – and we talked about it with Coach O this morning on OTB. You know, there's got to be a variation of running plays. It can't just be inside, outside zone. Yeah. And you didn't have the ability to re- really run any RPOs in the game because of what they were doing as far as the blitz. You weren't going to have time to do that, and it was going to be difficult. But there will be games that you're able to bring that. But what about some of the things we saw UCLA do, right? Counter, power, uh, even some stretch runs. Like, get guys off their spot. Get them uncomfortable. Like you don't have to to really do it all at the same time. Like just hit a stretch and then go zone zone, then come back and hit a counter and then go zone zone zone, then come back and hit a power. Like you don't have to switch it every single play, yeah. but you've got to give a variation of something different. And if you want to run in between the tackles because that's where you feel comfortable, well, all of those things, right? 
like you're going to run counter, it's going to be a gap to expand. Same thing with power. Um, if you run ISO runs, like you're reading the, the three technique a lot of that time and you're following your lead blocker, all that is, is going to be interior runs, but it's just going to give the defense something else to prepare for because it's a different blocking scheme. And, and Coach O talked about that. He knows that. Like that's something that has to get better because, I mean, a zone run out of guns already not my favorite. Yeah. Because you got, you know, you have to play to your strengths, and, and they didn't have all their running backs ready to go for this game because of different issues. But, you know, a 225-pound running back going across the formation, going east and west when he's a north-south runner, like those are some of the things that, uh, you know, hopefully they implement into this run game against McNeese. Clyde was great at what I just talked about, that defender sticking his head in the hole. Yep. Clyde was the best I've seen at quick sidestep with his feet planted and then hit the next hole. Like yep. he, he could – a play, which I guess the whole purpose of a zone scheme is, is you kind of find the hole and hit it, and you need a little, you need a little patience, a little time, as opposed to a tie who just wants to get yeah. going downhill as fast as possible and get going. And so scheme, yes, I'd love to see that. And, and, and too, like we know that you, it, those are implemented, like those are in your repertoire. Yep. Like, dude, Jake Peach has been so many places in the NFL and college football. Like he could install any of those runs, like in a snap of a finger. He's, yeah. he's a brilliant football mind. Like, there's no question about that. And something else, and I, I know it sounds crazy that I'm asking for this, being a, an LSU guy. We praise not getting under center in 2019 in the spring game. They didn't do it one time. We were like, "Thank goodness, it's finally here." <laughs> and I love that LSU's running a spread, but it's okay to get under center, guys. You can still be like 11 personnel and get under center and be effective. Look, we saw UCLA get under center plenty of times, right, to run some of their stuff. Like the only time LSU's been getting under center the last couple of years, not just this year, but the last couple of years, is to run a quarterback sneak. Yep. Right? And that is a tendency. That's a tendency that you'd like to see them break. And, you know, sometimes, and, and maybe it's because I am a former running back and I did always enjoy, like, getting a different view and having my shoulders north and south as I ran a stretch or if I ran – Whatever it was, like even a zone, like I loved being able to take an open step and read the defense from seven yards away. Yeah, like you can do some of those things as well. Um, you know, just change it up, and then that sets up some play action stuff. And you can still be a shotgun spread team eighty-five percent of the time, and just throw something a little bit different. Even if it's a pistol formation, that still gives the back kind of everything that I'm talking about. So I'd like to see some of that stuff implemented these next couple of weeks as you get ready for SEC play. When I was a kid. My dad used to make these um, these sausage cheese biscuit balls. Yeah, and um, they were fantastic. And he would make them every weekend. My friends would come over and they'd be like, "Hey, Mr. Ken, can can you make those sausage cheese balls? They're incredible." And after about I don't know six months of sausage cheese balls every weekend, I got sick of them. I said, "Dad, yeah. you don't need to make them anymore. I'm sick of them. We'll do something else for breakfast." I'll tell you what, today where I sit, I haven't had one probably in 10 years. I'd kill for one of those sausage <laughs> cheese balls, okay? <laughs> Same with the eye formation, right? The eye formation was great for LSU. Won a national championship in 07 with a yeah. ton of eye formation. Won an SEC championship in 2011. By 2019, sick of the eye formation, didn't yeah. want to see it anymore. I could use a little yeah. eye formation, just, it, a, just a little bit, hey, just a sprinkle. And it could be ace. So ace, it, most places I've ever been, is... You don't have a fullback in front of them. Yeah. I'm not saying I am not saying 21 personnel and toss dive. Please do not think that's what I'm saying. But you can still run 11 personnel with two receivers to the left, a tight end to the right, and a receiver outside and a single back that is ace formation. 
That's 11 personnel. And you can even run some 12 if you want to with two tight ends. There don't have to be a fullback in front of that guy yeah. dotting the eye. Like, you can dot the eye with just the running back, the quarterback, and the center. It doesn't yeah. have to be a fullback in front of him. So it's just something different to allow the running backs to get a different look at the run and for the quarterback to be able to set a couple of things off of that as well. Yep. And, you know, my, my one wish in the run game is just something on the edge. You know, get Trey yeah. Palmer the ball on a jet sweep or a little shovel pass. Get Kayshawn Butte the ball in space. Like, get some of those guys that can run when the ball's in their hands and get them going to the edge and get the linebackers moving that way because UCLA did a really good job of that, and LSU's linebackers started biting that stuff really hard, and I think that was the setup for the punchline later. Um, get those linebackers moving side to side. Don't let those linebackers get comfortable just going north and south, right? Get them, get them moving, get them flowing, and then hit them the other way. So would love to see that. Um, for me – in the passing game, I don't think this is going to surprise anybody. If you listen to the, the first segment, I want to see some shots downfield. Really got to see some shots downfield. Um, I want to see more 11. I love 11. I think he could be one of the better receivers to come through here, Brian Thomas Jr. And he was out there a little bit. Um, I get seniority. I get giving guys their opportunities that they've earned. Totally get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also get transcendent talent, and I think 11 is that kind of talent. And so I've seen him make yeah. plays in the scrimmages. I want to see more than two shots downfield. Um, I think we will. I think we'll see that. Um, you, look, you have to. You, and look, you also our, our defense are going to play eight yards. Yeah, and look, I'm, I'm also sensitive to the fact that like you can't drop back seven steps and throw it 25 yards downfield when you have a ton of pressure. Yeah. But you've got to get some of that pressure off your back. And so basically, when I went back, the little film that I watched, UCLA's safeties were 10 yards or in every time, yeah. and, and they were flowing down toward the line of scrimmage every time. So get those guys on their heels somehow. Um, where don't. I'm like you. I don't like dropping numbers into protection. I like getting everybody out. Just take some shots downfield, work on it, get better at it. Um, I don't think it's Max's strong suit. I don't think he's a great deep thrower. Um, some of that may be selection bias. Like in, in my head, I just can't think of a lot of – all his best throws that I can think of are crossers, they're hitches, they're stuff flowing across the field. Yeah. Um, they're really not to the sidelines and deep. So work on it. Work on it and see see if you can add it in your game somehow. It doesn't have to be – you know, Joe Burrow firing it 45 yards to the back shoulder, Jamar Chase, super accurate. But make, th- make a throwable ball and, and give it to somebody that can go up and make a catch. That's that's yeah. that's the two things, really, that I want to see offensively. I mean, there's there's some other stuff, obviously, they got to fix on, and it's personnel, and the, the O-line certainly has some questions. That's what I'm looking at offensively. Defensively, what do you want to see from the defense against this McNeese State team? Quarterback, Cody Orgeron. I mean, yeah. We're not going to talk a ton of personnel today, right. but um, – I don't, I don't know exactly what McNeese State likes to do yeah. scheme-wise, but what do, you, what do you want to see from those guys? Well, Cody actually had a big day in their loss against West Florida through for 367 yards wow. and two touchdowns, ran the ball 15 times for a touchdown as well. So Cody actually had a really nice game, even though they did lose the contest. Like I, I just want to see them switch up some of the things that they're doing. I'd, li- I'd love to see a dog or two emerge. What I mean by that, someone who you can tell, okay, that guy's vocal, that guy's a leader, that guy's coming downhill with, with violent intentions, all those type of things. You know, and this sounds so basic, but I'd, I'd love to see him not get hit with an over route or a crosser. Yeah. So for me, and my terminology, the coaches I've been with, if you're wondering, like a crosser is more of a drag. Like a crosser is like your five to eight yard over the middle play to me, what UCLA was having a lot of success with, uh, call it over route, right? It's more of your 12 to 18 yard, kind of longer developing, like look over here to the left. Everybody's paying attention to the left. I'm coming over here over the top to the right. And LSU's had 
real big problems with both those routes. It's not just one route. So, you know, make that adjustment. I don't know what it is. Is it playing more zone coverage? I would assume we're going to see more of that. Is it blitzing the quarterback more than the 8% that you're talking about? So for me, it's just let's see how they adjust. Let's see what the adjustments look like to the things that gave you trouble in week one. Yeah, so that that, that would be mine is, is bring more numbers and bring more heat and make the guy uncomfortable. You know, I, I think the the overs or the, the crossing routes, whatever you want to call them, um, that LSU got killed with on, on Saturday, there's really two in particular. Well, three, three. It was, it was, um, it was actually all three touch, three touchdowns. Yeah. It was the Dol- the Dolchich one. So let's, let's talk about all of them because I think they're relevant. The Dolchich one on the first one, um, play action. LSU had sold out to the run that same run play a couple of times. Tight end gets a free release. No one touches him. Yep. He goes across three linebackers. No one touches him. And then you had one. Basically, you had Eli Ricks um, as the backside corner, kind of dropped back in a safety spot. You had Todd Harris as the as the safety, kind of pushed into the box. Ricks jumped out to the flat, and Todd Harris jumped out to the flat. So somewhere in there, there was a bust. One of those guys was supposed to get deep. Uh, I don't know which one. I'm not going to call out either one because I don't know. One of those guys was supposed to get deep. Okay, you don't get deep, you get beat. Dolchich makes a catch uh, at the at his own 40, I think. You got to bring him down. You missed the tackle. Okay, so that, anyway, you didn't defend it well, but that's a right. correctable problem. I don't think that was a coverage call issue. I think it was just an execution problem. All right, that's fine. The the second touchdown where the guy gets out of sight of Bug Strong and and um was that Dolchich again? No, that was the receiver, was a receiver. Uh, Coda. Yeah, okay. um yeah Coda. He came in motion across. Came again. Came across all three linebackers. Didn't get touched. Free release. And actually, if you go back and watch that, um, Dorian Thompson Robinson did a really nice job. Yeah. Right before um, the receiver Coda broke outside of Bug Strong, he gave a little pump, just a tiny little pump. And when he took that pump, Bug took one hard step downhill, like I'm going to jump this, yeah. and regathered it, threw it to the wide open man because he took that false step wide open. Again, was it a coverage issue? I don't think so because Damone, in fact, actually passed off the guy to Bug and said, you got him. And, and he was in the place to make a play, and he bit on that pump fake. And, and just got beat. So, to me, again, not really a coverage issue, more of an execution issue. That's fixable. Yeah. And then the last one was LSU's trying to sell out against the run, stop the clock. Um, Stingley's matched up with the receiver in the slot, showing him the middle of the field. I don't know what the coverage was. It looked like there was one safety that was kind of in zone. Everyone else was man. Yeah, it looked like single high safety. Yeah, yeah they took the leverage. Okay, that's fine. You get beat. Make the tackle. Just make the tackle. Yeah. Again, it was a crossing route. It was bad. But again, I don't. I don't think you were your coverage scheme was the issue there. M- maybe the leverage that you gave him to the middle. Like maybe don't give him inside leverage when you're as good of a cornerback as Stingley. Force that guy outside and make make DTR make a, a throw that I don't know if he can make. Yeah. Maybe maybe you could fix that. But again, that's an easy fix. So I'm, I'm concerned about the crossers, but I don't. I'm hoping it's not a problem all year because it, me with a tiny football brain that knows nothing saw the problem. And so I, they certainly see the problem. I think they can adjust yeah. it. I think they've got the, the personnel to fix it. I want to see some numbers. Just yeah. send some guys, send some heat. Yeah. I know your front, you like your front four. In the first half, you generated pressure just yeah. by bringing four. That's great. I love it. Send, make that quarterback uncomfortable. Make Cody Orgeron uncomfortable this week. Make Central Michigan's quarterback yeah. uncomfortable next week. Make them not have time to do that little pump fake, right? Right. Make them have to get rid of it quickly, and then Bug can jump that and pick it, and then it's a play. Get them out of a rhythm. That's that's To, to me, that's the word. UCLA was in such a rhythm on both sides of the ball. Their free blitzers were going as soon as Max clapped his hands. 
on, on offense, the quarterback had time, the running backs had time to find holes. Take them out of the rhythm. Dictate rhythm. I don't know how, exactly how you do that. That's for this, the scheme guys to talk about. But to me, that's what I'm looking for on both sides of the ball, specifically defensively. Yeah, and Sorry, I know it's long winded. No, like, no, I, went, no, I went on no, there. No, and and I know there's nothing that can be done out there on the field that impresses anyone. Not this week, maybe not next week. I, I do think Central Michigan's probably better than a lot of our fans are going to realize. Uh, still, I, obviously, I know what that game is. It, it's got to be a game that you absolutely dominate and win. I get it. But the team has to know that there's nothing that in these next two weeks on the outside of the building is going to matter. They could go out there and they could beat McNeese 70 to nothing. They could go beat Central Michigan 45 to 7, and it's not going to matter. Like nothing you do on the outside is going to matter. But it better matter in the building. It better matter for confidence. It better matter for the adjustments that you want to make as a team. It better matter for all the things inside of the building. Because we've, we've all been in situations when we know there's a stretch coming up that's not going to move the needle no matter what we do. You can't worry about that. All you can worry about is we're 0-1 and we've got to get it fixed and we've got to get it fixed fast because we've got this game, we've got Central Michigan, and then you've got conference play. And if you're not ready, you need to be ready right now, but if you're not ready by conference play, then we're talking about something completely different. So do what you're supposed to do within these next couple of weeks to better what you showed from last Saturday and get ready for conference plays. you got to go back on the road. So these two weeks might not be important anywhere else but in the building, but they damn sure better be important inside that building. All right, let's uh, let's break this segment and uh, and get to your questions. we got a bunch. Uh, on I can imagine. On Twitter, uh, I'm going to have to filter through some of them because some of them <laughs> are not suitable for Hey Fighting Podcast. But we'll take a break. We'll get back to your questions after this. Run up the score. Big Mike the Tiger, stand right up and roar. Give it all your mind and your fight. All right, let's get to questions. Got a bunch of them on Twitter and on Instagram. Instagram, just always the the questions are always uh, more suitable for for air on Instagram, which is crazy to me because on Twitter everyone can see your question, yes. and on Instagram only, only I Cody can. can see them. Yeah. Um, for example, Garrison Floyd asks, "Big fan of 2 a.m. flights," and I would have to say, "No, I am not a fan." 2 a.m. flights. I'm definitely not a fan. Um, it was miserable trying to get some sleep on that plane. You just not. I'm not a sleeper on a plane already. So I, I miss. Look, I miss traveling, and these are first world problems. People listening to us right now are probably like, "You, you yeah, tools, yeah, sure. you get to travel for to sure. games." And sure. and look, I get it. I'm very blessed to be in the position I am to be. What would you tell me on Saturday <laughs> when I when I had this look on my face because? We had so many delays. It was past midnight. We're trying to get on the plane, and the manifest was um, was the wrong one or something. Yeah, that, that's right. We got to the airport. And I had, had this look on my face, and you said, Hester, remember, you wanted to travel. <laughs> so, yeah, we're not complaining, but let us complain. Yeah, we're, we're going to complain, and we're going to sound like tools, and we don't care because it was uh, it was not pleasant. But um, we, we survived, so we're okay. Uh, this one's from Adam Ahmed on Instagram. It's not a question. It's more of a statement, but I think it's one we can expand on. Maybe it's not that bad. UCLA looks like a very good team that will win their conference. You, are you buying that at all? I do think that UCLA is a good football team, and, and they might go and win the Pac-12 South and have a good year. And so it's funny and because like talking to some people on Friday uh, on the way to Los Angeles, like I was sitting there and I was doing my charts for the radio and people, you know, came to me, Hey, what do you think? And, and it wasn't people that are in the program every day, but they yeah. were just asking us like, this seems good. Like this is going to be a good game. Like this is going to be a close game. And they were kind of surprised by that, but 
that team with that offensive line, with those two tight ends, not just Dulcich, with those two running backs, the quarterback, I still think, um, needs to do some things better if they want to go and have this epic season. Yeah. With all that being said, because I do think they're good, I think it's more of what happened and what LSU didn't do than what they did. So, yeah, they're going to be a team, I think, that's going to be there in the end for the Pac-12. I truly do. But there's still things that LSU needs to work on, and regardless of how good UCLA is, that have to be fixed. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's the, the tried-and-true cliche that we use in this program. But LSU lost to Troy in 2017 and went out and beat Florida the next week. So you yeah. can – you can go from the, the outhouse to the penthouse pretty quickly. Um, that's why I'm not one to write off the season. But I don't think you can do anything but look at that game against UCLA and be very, very concerned about this football team. I don't think anybody watched that game and was like, oh, it's going to be fine. We're going to be fine. No, I think we're all concerned. The concerns are valid. Yeah. And uh, it, how, however good UCLA is, and they may end up being pretty right. good, it's kind of irrelevant. To that's question. right. Noah Long 51 asks, what can the coaches do to help improve the offensive line? And so this goes back to the scheme versus yeah. personnel. You're not going to really change your personnel. There's no, there's no, no guys behind there that are going to come in. Maybe Garrett Dellinger can come in and help you in spots. I think he's a very talented freshman, but he's going to be a freshman, and he's going to make freshman mistakes if he goes in the game. They actually used him as a six offensive lineman in that first series, got a little push in the run. Interesting little uh, twist that they used there. Don't think they'll use a whole lot of that this year. But he, he might be a guy that can help you, but coaching-wise, scheme-wise, what are the things – we talked about this a little bit in the last segment, but to, to reiterate, what are the things that the coaching staff can do schematically to help this offensive line and make their job a little bit easier? You have to threaten the defense, especially the front seven, with something different. Like it's, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy, but if you're a defense and you know if they run the ball, it's going to be A or A, yeah. not A or B. Yeah. <laughs> so – you Make just, them think, man. Yeah, Make just, them try to trick them or something. You just got to do something to get them uncomfortable. That, yeah. That's really what it is. So, yeah, you're not going to change the personnel. The personnel is what it is. And that personnel did not play good on Saturday. If anybody tells you that they did, they'd be lying to you. But we've seen that personnel have success before. Yeah. Man, they just – it's got to – you got to help them out as well. Like, you have to coach to what you have available. Yeah. It goes back to the thing I keep talking about with identity. And identity is wanting to define what you do well. And that's really important to know. You have to know what you're good at. But you also have to know what the other team is not good at and exploit that. And that's mm -hmm. a really difficult balance to strike. That's the So go back to 2018. That's what the 2018 offense was. It was trying to figure out what it was for the first eight, nine games of the season. And then it finally figured it out. And it really clicked the last three or four games. And then went into 2019. They knew exactly who they were. And so they looked at every opponent and said, this is what you're not good at, yeah. and we're going at you. Okay, We're going to attack your weakness. And I wonder if you can do that before or as you're still figuring out what you're good at. I don't know if you can. Maybe you just have to figure out the next two weeks. All right, we're good at – obviously, we're good at crossers with Keishon Butte. That's going to be a staple of what we do. Yeah. Um, what else are we good at? You know, what, what are we good at in the running game? Can you answer those questions in two weeks and still start looking at Mississippi State and say, all right, hey, Mississippi State has actually got some weaknesses here that we're going to try to attack. And so it's, it's a difficult balance. That's why these coaches get paid so well is to figure out that balance. I'll be curious to see – if they can, um, if they can sort that out. Um, let's get to one or two more questions. Uh, CJ Varello on Instagram asked, uh, he said, "Ask Hester if he's up for throwing 18 back on and showing those boys how to run a ball." <laughs> um, I'll throw 18 back on at 36 years old and like 25 pounds lighter than when I played my last football game. I don't really know, but I can promise you one thing. Um, 
I'm going to duck my head and try to get at least one yard. All right. I saw you tweet last night that you would have gotten called for targeting on 99% of your runs. Oh, without <laughs> question. I mean, that was my biggest tool. I mean, y'all see this. I'm a seven and three fourths. My biggest tool was to try to be a battering ram. I, that's like that's seven what and I three have. fourths. There we go. We hey, got the same we, anniversary and the same height. There size. we go. So um, I don't know how it turned out, but I can promise you I'm hitting the A gap well, with full speed. Well, if you want a visual <laughs> preview, go back to the alternate uniforms from 2018. Year of 18. Yeah, it was. That's and, right. Uh, you, it, How's that longer? Yeah. yeah, he was wearing the visor, so you couldn't tell it was him, but it was him if you want to yeah. go see what he would physically look like wearing the 18. Yeah, it looked a know. little bit different. A <laughs> um, couple more questions. Uh, some of these I just can't ask. Yeah, Arsenal questions. I wouldn't want to ask him either. Well, our Man United, from the Cajun Guru, our Man United title contenders this year, two things uh, Coach O must do to turn around So this season. So two questions. Our Man United title contenders uh, this year. Yes, they are. They've got a, a really nice roster adding Ronaldo. Let's see what they do with that. Um, I, 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 needed, I added Ronaldo, too, to my fantasy team, by the way, which is dead last. I missed the draft. Uh, it's it's a disaster. Yeah, um, I, I didn't miss the draft. We're in the same league, and, and mine's a disaster, okay. so you're hopefully, fine. There. Hopefully I got Ronaldo. I haven't seen the waivers go through. No, you're, well, you have to. You're last place. Two, um, two things that, that Coach O and the team must do to turn this season around. Win? Yeah, that's that, I just they have to be able to adapt to whatever the game situation is telling them they have to adapt to. Like that that's that's a, a key part of it. Like that has to get done. Um and they have to play well in uncomfortable situations, right? Yeah. When you're not able to stop something, well, you've got to figure that out and you've got to play with something that you didn't maybe prepare for. Like I'll be honest with you, like going in and watching Chip Kelly, like, I didn't think they were gonna come out there and run counter that many times. Yeah. But they did. Right, so that's uncomfortable, but you got to be comfortable in those situations because you feel like, okay, we're good, we're fine. They hit us for Look, they hit us twice. All right, we weren't ready for it. They're dang sure not going to hit us a third time. Right, so all of that is something they got to get fixed. So you you gave the football answer, and as usual, I'll give the um, the psychological answer, the the non football answer, the soft factor answer, if you will. I want some swagger, man. Yeah. I I really want to see some swagger out of this football team, and I don't know if you have to fake it until you make it. I don't know if. Um, if you can just build it up over the next two weeks and come out against Mississippi State with it, you know, sort of in reserve. Yeah. But there's a lot of nice guys on this football team. A lot of really yeah. upstanding young men who represent LSU well in the community and in the classroom. Um, I want to see them turn into dogs on the football field. And yeah. re- remember the scrimmage that I that I said um, that that last year LSU was like a defensively they were bunch of young kittens right they were yeah. coming in and they were new and they didn't really know and they, and they got exposed and i thought in that scrimmage that i went out there they looked like some alley cats just nasty scars on their faces clumps yeah. of fur missing like hissing anytime somebody walks by them they looked like that in the scrimmage i want to see you look like that on the field against somebody that's not wearing purple and gold right and i don't know who's going to be the ringleader there but it's going to have to be somebody i don't know if it can be Andre Anthony or Ali Gay up front. I don't know if um, I, you know, I don't know where the personalities are like in the in the linebacker room or the secondary that can bring that to the table. But you, you have to have that juice. You have to have that guy who you look in his eyes, and if you're the opponent, you're terrified, and if you're a tiger, then you're just happy that guy's on your yeah. side. I don't know who that is. Um, maybe that guy's waiting in the wings. Maybe he's there, and I just haven't seen it yet. That's what I need to see. And I, need, I need to see that dude that like I say something on the podcast and I'm scared to see him in the hallway because right. he's going to yeah he's going to say something me. to me yeah, yeah. It, I don't and I don't know who that is and it's going to have to be self produced over these next couple of weeks in Tiger Stadium this Saturday 
There's not going to be Mo Bamba playing with everybody going crazy and 12 deep on the sidelines from goal line to goal line. That's not going to be the environment in Tiger Stadium on Saturday. It's just not going to be. No. Like, I, I don't want to, it's, to it's, try to it's trick a, anybody. It's, it's an in-state opponent, and we're coming off a hurricane. People still don't have power in That's their right. houses. It Look, part of my job is to try to help get as many people in that stadium as possible by, by building up hype. And I, look, I'm excited about the first home game in Tiger Stadium with full capacity yeah. uh, in, in two years. But I'm also realistic, and I know what a September home game against against an in-state school looks like. Right. It doesn't look like Alabama in 2018. Um, it doesn't look like the the scene you were just describing, Florida in 2019. So somebody's got somebody's got to bring some juice to the table. Yeah. I don't. I'm not even going to nominate anybody. I don't know who it is. Um, and look, I'm not being I'm not being critical of the people who that's not their personality type. That wasn't my personality type when I was a basketball player. I was a keep your head down, do your work, you know, whatever. But I had guys on my team that that were like that. Yeah. And every team needs that element. This team has did not show it last year at all. Um, in fact, last year it was more the, the juice was anger and it was a lot of losing of temper. That, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jamal Adams. I'm talking about Tyron Matthew. I'm talking about that that confidence that you bring to the table. It's that irrational defensive back confidence that you yeah. get up and you wave incomplete after you did absolutely you got toasted <laughs> on a play. I don't care. I want to see it. I want to see yeah. some of that juice and then I want to see it translate into production. So, yep. That's uh, that's my non-football answer. Uh, okay, I think that's all the questions for today. Um, we'll be back after the game on Saturday with our second hurry up. Hopefully we'll be celebrating a win, which would be right. nice and have some good things to talk about. And I know that we won't be doing it from um, from a bus or while we're waiting on a plane because it's a home game, so that's going to be nice. So we can go find yeah. a nice, comfortable space either in my office or somewhere around Tiger Stadium. Oh, that did feel good on that bench outside of the Rose Bowl. Well, if you're going to wait for two hours for the buses to leave, yeah. you might as well record a podcast while you do it. That's yeah. what I told everyone else on the bus. I was like, y'all just go record a podcast like I'm doing. I don't know why you didn't bring your I felt We were getting kind of judged for recording a podcast t- on, t- the, <laughs> on the on, the, on bus. the bus. I'll tell you what. If you go rate and review the podcast, okay, send a, do a rating, do a review, send it to me. I'll send you the five minutes of audio that me and Hester recorded on the bus as the, the spirit squad came on and interrupted us yeah. and made us realize maybe we should go somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. I think we were polite about it, um, yeah. but I think, I think that five minutes of audio, one, it was just terrible. We got off to a very bad start podcasting. We were, we were not happy. Um, but two, then just as people come in and they're like going through the, <laughs> through the, the bus, <laughs> what, what do you call that? The walkway on the yeah. bus and they're stepping over mic yeah. cords and they're like, Oh, are you doing? Yeah, yeah are well, doing something? we have microphones. We are and, doing something. And I, and I did feel bad because they, you know, typically we like we're not on one big travel party. And after you lose, if you've ever been on it's NFL, high school, college, if you've ever been on a team losing bus, there's no glee. No, it's a and, miserable place. Yeah, and there's no spirit. Yeah, there's no spirit. Let's just there's no spirit. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it there. And there's a place. There's a place to be spirited, and there's a place to. <laughs> To uh, be somber, to be somber, and so um, it's it's all about striking. That We're gonna balance. have spirit this weekend. Let's go. Let's we go are Tigers. gonna have spirit. Excited to be back in Tiger Stadium. Speaking of Tiger Stadium, um, there are a bunch of protocols in place, and we'll wrap up the podcast here. A bunch of protocols in place this week because of COVID nineteen. I would encourage all of our fans to go to lsusports.net slash game day and lsusports.net slash COVID nineteen. All of your answers for what you need for game day will be there. Remember, if you're gonna show up, bring a proof of vaccination or proof of a negative COVID-19 PCR test within 72 hours of kickoff to get into the stadium. That's the two most important things 
Everything else is Lanyap. There's going to be pre-screening available if you're in the 90-day window and you can't get a negative test. There's going to be pre-screening at the PMAC. Um, if you want to get through the lines faster at the stadium, because obviously the lines are going to be longer because you're going to be showing your phone or your LA wallet or your proof of vaccination. You can There's going to be mobile um, units going around campus to your tailgates. There's going to be stationary spots on campus. We'll release maps on all that um, where you can go get a wristband before the game so you can go, go through the fast pass line when you get to the stadium. It's a lot of information, so the best way to get it is lsusports.net slash game day or lsusports.net slash COVID-19. Go there. You'll get all your questions asked. And if you don't get your answers there, just – Shoot me a message on Twitter. I'd be happy to answer it there. Looking forward to seeing you all in Tiger Stadium. Hester, looking forward to seeing you after the game, celebrating a win and talking about all the good things that Ellis did on the football field. That's right. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. We'll see you next time on Hey Fighting Podcast. Like nights of old, we fight to hold the glory of the purple and gold. Come on, you Tigers. I said fight, fight, fight. Victory for Victory for